Hello and welcome to another episode of Painting the Corners. It's Johnny and Logan. And today we're going to be breaking down the top 25 free agents this offseason. Uh, we're going to be looking at an article by Jim Bowden in The Athletic and giving you some team fits, some contract predictions, and uh, just generally breaking down what we've heard about the market so far. So yeah, without further ado, let's get into it. So we're a bit late to the free agent prediction party here, but we at Painting the Corners Pod um, like to get a sense of where the market is headed before we make these predictions, because as you'll see from this article, uh, a lot has changed in the week or two since Bowden wrote this and came out with these predictions. Uh, not only the qualifying offer decisions, but also some opt-outs um, and just how the market has developed so far with the GM meetings having passed in Las Vegas last week um, and the winter meetings coming up in a few weeks in San Diego. So, all right, Logan, um, you want to kick us off? Yeah, so let's get this going here with Jim Bowden's number one free agent. I feel like uh, overall consensus here in Aaron Judge. We know what kind of season he had last year. He put up 11.4 F4. He had an OPS plus over 200, which is absolutely insane. Haven't seen that since Barry Bonds. Quite an all-around solid player going into his age 31 season next year, which definitely plays a factor here because a lot of guys of Judge's caliber have been more in the going into their 29, 30 age. A lot of them even more like 28. You look at the Manny Machados and the Carlos Correas of the world. So that definitely has effect on the length that Judge will be able to get. Though, coming off the season he did where he bet on himself, it's going to be really tough to see him not getting at least 300 or very close to it. Yeah, if this was uh, Albert Pujols, you know, back in a little over a decade ago, we'd be talking about a 10-year deal. But teams just don't guarantee contracts to guys into their 40s anymore. Um, And really, even the late 30s is pushing it. So he will get a higher AAV, but it will be tamped down years wise. So speaking of that, Jim Bowden predicts an eight year, $330 million contract. How are you feeling about that? Yeah, I like the years. I, I tend to agree with the years, though. I don't see him getting that sort of AAV uh, out of a th- of an eight year deal. Like you said, it's, it's going to be tough to see him getting a deal into his 40s, which that would push the ninth year into the deal. And I just don't see that happening from whoever goes after him. But Going for eight years for three thirty, I mean that's a lot. That's over forty one. That's forty one and a fourth uh, million per year. That's a lot of money uh, to give to a guy over that amount of time. I think it's going to be somewhere closer to that that eight year three hundred ish range, give or take ten million on either end. Um, probably you know a little bit on the over there, but it, man, I, I that seems like a lot to me. Yeah, I think I would probably take the under on three hundred thirty as well. But things to consider here, you know, there's been lots of rumor mill churning, of course, about Judge being the highest profile free agent we've seen in a while, especially with the whole, you know, Yankees offering him a low ball extension offer in spring training, stuff like that. But 
Hal Steinbrenner uh, at the at the GM meetings, the owner of the Yankees, he said basically that they would not be outbid for a judge. And also Farhan Zaidi, president of baseball ops for the Giants, uh, who are also rumored to be a landing spot for judge potentially. He said that pretty much the same thing, that they're not going to get outbid for anybody. I don't know if he specifically met judge, but he certainly implied that they would have the financial capability to sign anyone in this free agent class. And so you could certainly see a scenario where a bidding war breaks out. Also the Mets, of course, we know Steve Cohen isn't afraid to dig deep into his wallet. So I could see it reaching 330, but I don't think that's the likeliest scenario. Yeah, and I think another team that we have to at least watch out for is the Dodgers. Obviously, they have the spending power to do so. Um, There was talks earlier in the offseason, and I don't really feel like these were the most accurate reports, but there were talks that they'd move Mookie Betts to second base, which just doesn't really make sense. But at the end of the day, you can't write off the Dodgers ever in a spending scenario especially with the amount of money they had come off the books. So we'll see if they go that route. I think it's more likely going to come down to two teams for this judge saga here. Obviously the Yankees and, like you mentioned, the San Francisco Giants. The way I look at it, if I'm a Yankee front office exec and I'm the owner, I cannot let a guy like Aaron Judge walk. Yeah, for sure. I definitely agree about that. Um, so where do you where would you see him going? Is it is it a for sure fire Yankees thing, or do you think there's another team that is going to sneak in there? It's not for sure, and the Yankees have surprised us kind of in their inaction the last several off seasons. Obviously, they signed Garrett Cole, but yeah, I could see him going to the Giants. The Mets one really feels kind of like a long shot to me. I feel like that's more just to drum up kind of uh, you know raise the price and drum up the rivalry with the Yankees, you know, across town kind of drama there um Bowden also lists the White Sox I really don't see them playing in the deep end here they're already kind of uh, up against their payroll limit it looks like uh judging by their activities the last couple of years so yeah I would I would give it probably 70 30 Yankees versus the field with the field comprised of mostly the Giants and then also possibly the Dodgers and Mets yeah, I would agree with you there. I think he goes to the Yankees. Uh, the only other thing that, that gives the Giants the advantage would be the fact that he grew up in the Bay Area. So, you know, if there's any part of him that That's wants true. to go home and really didn't appreciate getting booed in the playoffs, um, <laughs> that that's the only way I could see the Giants being able to cork him away because it just feels like there's too much of a, a negative impact on the Yankees organization if he leaves. So, um We'll have to wait yeah. and see on that one. But yeah, I think consensus at the moment is going to be the Yankees. As for the next tier free agent, um, it's going to be Jacob deGrom going into his age 35-year season. He is an interesting case because clearly one of the most dominant pitchers we've ever seen the last couple seasons. But he can't seem to f- pitch a full season. Uh, he's been riddled by injuries throughout the last, you know, four or five years, and it's tough to to give a guy like that a long term commitment because he's going to his age thirty five season. Plus, he hasn't been on the field a lot, so you're going to see a short term high AAV deal most likely. 
Now, that isn't necessarily a bad thing for DeGrom because if he just continues to pitch like he's pitching, he doesn't have to necessarily stay healthy to get high AAV deals until he's, you know, Justin Verlander's age or whatnot. Will it be interesting to see what his market is? Um, you know, it seems like the Mets would be an obvious choice, but I kind of feel like that that isn't a for sure thing by any means. No, it's definitely not. Um, nothing, nothing sure with free agents. You always get those uh, mystery teams in there, whether they exist or not. But yeah, as you said, the injuries make this a really interesting choice uh, because you could see contracts, a contract similar to Justin Verlander's last year when he was coming off of Tommy John um, with a player option built in. So if DeGrom is healthy and pitches well, he would opt out. And if not, he would have another kind of cushion year where he could try to get healthy again. But honestly, I don't really think his market will kind of sink to that level. I think teams will be willing to give him probably three guaranteed years. And the separator might be who's willing to either guarantee a third year or guarantee a fourth year. Yeah, no, that would definitely be a separator. So like I said, Bowden kind of looks at it with a two-year two-year lens here. Um, $90 million with an opt-out after one. You know, he lists a lot of teams that have uh, potential here, you know, it looks at the Mets, Braves, Dodgers, Yankees, Giants, Orioles. I think it would be important to mention, or I think it is important to mention the Rangers here. There have been some connections to them, and they clearly have the want to spend big money on free agents, and they've shown that Absolutely. as of last yeah. year. And it would be quite honestly stupid of them to do that last offseason and then just do nothing this offseason. So I think that they're a real player. I think they are too. And fans might be also a little startled to hear the Orioles names uh, being thrown about with DeGrom and probably Verlander when we get to him, but they're, they're going to play this off season. They've said so. Uh, GM Mike Elias has said that they will be increasing payroll this year. They will be aggressive on the free agent market. So DeGrom might be a stretch, but I would be shocked if they don't add a proven starter to that team because their weakness was that that starting pitching depth. No, exactly. And I and like you said, pretty much every free agent from here on out, we're going to be talking about the Orioles because not only do they want to get better, but they have a lot of payroll flexibility. I think the right. only guy they have committed to an actual deal is John Means. Uh, I think everyone else is under uh, club control via arbitration or just team control so they're they're paying guys to not play for them more than they are paying their own guys <laughs> so they have a lot of financial flexibility right now and they do. that makes them yeah. a scary team especially with how they did last year you have a young core we'll talk about them more for sure so you know it's funny you said that three year might be a separator i th- i tend to agree with you um, I think he does get that three years, but I like the money that Bowden predicts that 45 million slot. I think he kind of fits right in there um, with opt outs after every single year. What do you, do you like that money line? Or are you thinking more? I don't know. So I kind of said that if the market collapses a little bit, he could go down to that two years with an opt out after year one, the kind of Verlander structure. And I don't think that's going to happen. I think he's going to beat this, this prediction by Bowden here by a comfortable margin. I think someone's going to guarantee him at least three years, and I honestly think someone's going to give him five, give him four. 
I really think he's going to be four, probably in the $40 million AAV range. Wow, that would be quite incredible. Um, though I could definitely see it. I, I'm going to, like I said, I kind of more align with Bowden's thought process on this one. Um, but it's funny, and I don't know if this is considered a bold prediction. It might be. Let me know if it is. But I think he's going to end up in Texas. I think he's going to be a Ranger. I think they pony up and get the ace to build that rotation behind. Um, because right now, Mar- Martin Perez... Uh, he's going to, you know, we'll talk about him later. He accepted his qualifying offer and he's quote unquote the ace right now. But if they can get a rotation where they have DeGrom, Perez, and then, you know, a mixture of Gray and Odorizzi behind that with some other guys that, that they like coming up in their system and, and have pitched in the last couple of years. I don't know. I, I think the Rangers pony up here. Yeah, that's, you know, it certainly could happen. The reason I kind of went so high with my contractor, I just want to give some rationale teams more and more and more are leaning towards paying for that explosive dynamic presence. And whether that's an offensive player or a pitcher, what we're seeing is the elite of the elite are getting a lot more money than the kind of just, you know, innings eaters uh, and solid, you know, number two or number three starters that, you know, the kind of drop off from top 10 pitcher in baseball to top 25 is huge. And DeGrom is a top one when he's healthy. So I really think there's going to be some intense, intense bidding wars going on for his services. When you're looking at Fitz, Mets obviously would love to bring him back. The Braves, I don't think, are going to commit that much money to one player when they've already got so many guys on the books. Uh, Granted, they're at you know, fairly below market value deals right now. But I think the Braves have already kind of played their hand a little bit and said that they're not really going to go for those huge AAV deals. Now, the Dodgers, on the other hand, do like those kinds of deals. They gave one to Trevor Bauer three years ago, uh, who is, by the way, suspended for all of next year still. Yankees, he lists as a fit. I don't know, maybe Giants, Orioles, and you mentioned the Rangers. I don't really see the Dodgers going for him because, you know, they'll just sign like Jose Quintana and get 180 innings of 2.5 ERA ball somehow. I like your Rangers pick. There's also the Giants to worry about. Um, Yeah, I could see any of the Rangers, Giants, even the Orioles, or even someone just kind of coming out of nowhere like the Twins did with Correa last year and just deciding to kind of shove their window open because having a guy like DeGrom at the top of your rotation can certainly do that for you. Yeah, and I think last point I'll make on DeGrom, there's a high probability chance that he ends up back in New York as a New York Met. So, you know, like I said, I think he goes to the Rangers. That's what I'm going to predict, and I'm not trying to be crazy with it or anything, but there is still a high chance he goes back to New York there. So um, definitely something to watch out for. That market will be fun to follow. And another market that could be a lot more fun to follow than we maybe initially anticipated going into this offseason is the Justin Verlander market. There was some obvious connections with Verlander and, and owner Jim Crane in Houston. They actually uh, discussed and negotiated that contract themselves. It didn't go through any general manager or anything when he initially signed there uh, in Houston. So there was some thought that he would sign before any other team even had a chance now that we're getting a couple days away from there, I've heard some rumblings out there in the news that teams are a little bit 
concerned about the fact that there isn't a contract already set up for Verlander in Houston. So there's a good chance he doesn't end up re-signing there. And I think that'll be something that's interesting to watch. I kind of had an initial feeling uh, going into the, the offseason that he would be an Astro, but I don't know about that anymore. Yeah, I think this is a classic case of he's just going to go wherever he gets the most money because he's won a World Series, won two World Series, been through two organizations now. He's not like you know beholden to a city or a fan base. And I think he's going to go where A, he gets the most money, and B, he feels like he has the best chance to go back to the World Series. Totally. And so with that being said, Jim Bowden predicts that he's going to get three for 135. Um, okay, so yeah, $45 million a year. That makes sense in my mind. I can stomach something around that. The three years, though, for a guy going into his age 40 season, I know it's Verlander. I get it. But is some team really going to give him three years and $45 million per? I don't think so. I don't think so. I think he flip-flopped to Grom and Verlander, honestly. A hundred percent agree with you. And yeah, that that's a very interesting one because it doesn't make sense how he would give Verlander more AAV and more years. I don't the really same see... Same AAV and more years. Sorry, yes. Sorry, my bad. Yes, same AAV, more years than to Grom. Like, I know Verlander was healthy this year, but... It's yeah, I don't know. It's an interesting decision there from from Bowden. But nonetheless, I think you know, for me and I feel like you probably agree on this, I think he's going to get something closer to a 2 for 80 to 90 range, 2 years 80 million, 90 million, where he's about 40 to 45 range. That's kind of where I think he'll end up. But it'll be interesting to see, you know, Bowden says Astros, Yankees, Dodgers, Braves, Mets and Orioles, kind of the same suitors for DeGrom. Where do you see him going? I don't know at this point. Um, you mentioned the kind of swirling market there. I just think it's interesting to note. So Verlander, he pitched this year at age 39. So next year, this contract will start at his age 40 season. And we really just have not seen this in recent memory. Nelson Cruz is kind of the only exception. He was just hopping from one-year deal to one-year deal. Uh, and he had a, a very poor year this year. So not really sure what he's going to get uh, as as far as next year, but Verlander obviously still insanely effective, probably going to win the Cy Young. We talked about that last week, but I wonder what teams will think about guys. So basically with Verlander versus DeGrom, DeGrom is five years younger, but has had more recent injury history, kind of the, the Tommy John for Verlander, notwithstanding, because that's a, you know, it's a kind of one and done procedure. If you recover from it, and he has, then you're kind of set. Whereas with Degrom, it's been a sort of lingering and also a combination of, of injuries. So, do you believe more in the guy who has been injured more but is younger versus the guy who has been injured less but is older? I think that's going to be a kind of a fascinating subplot here with what these guys get. I think after one goes, the other will go pretty soon. We've seen that in previous off-seasons when there's two comparable players like Machado and Harper back in the 2018-19 off-season. I think these dominoes will kind of fall together. As for where Verlander goes, um, yeah, as you said, same fits as with uh, DeGrom, except with the Astros in there as well, being the incumbent, so to speak. I probably would lean towards him going back to the Astros at this point, but you make a good point about Crane 
and that relationship there and them not having uh, worked anything out yet. So I don't know. I guess, I guess I could see the Mets. I don't know. I doubt that though. The Orioles could, could spend big again. I don't know. Honestly, this is a tough market. Yeah, so I have a prediction here, and this might go off a little bit of status quo for what they like to do, but at the same time, it is very much so what this organization likes to do. They like short-term high AAV deals, and that's why I see the Los Angeles Dodgers jumping in on this Justin Verlander thing. And hear me out, here's why. They're going to lose Heaney and Anderson, right? So they need starting pitchers. That doesn't mean they necessarily need aces, but you look at their playoff rotation as of right now. That is just Kershaw, Julio Urias, and then Tony Gonsolin, Dustin May. Okay, they don't have Bueller coming back this year because he got hurt for Tommy John. They want a right-handed ace to take them into the postseason as a one or a two behind Urias and before Kershaw. I see them going and getting Justin Verlander. As a Padres fan, I hope that doesn't happen. But I can certainly see that that high AV deal. I know that they're generally opposed to uh, older players with that kind of approach, but Verlander has made himself into an exception because he has continued to produce just about every year. So, yeah, definitely going to be an interesting one to follow. I could see that going in lots of different directions. Okay, so next up, we have the headliner from last year's free agent class, Carlos Correa, who took a three-year deal with Minnesota, opted out after the first year, and is back on the market following his age 27 season. So going into age 28, uh, he put up a solid season, 5.4 war, an OPS plus of 140. And he played this year on a $35.1 million salary. So he's looking to get close to that AAV over a much longer stretch probably looking to match or beat Corey Seager's deal from the Rangers last winter, which was 10 years, 325. Um, Bowden predicts him to be right in that range at 10 years, 327. Are you on board with that? Yeah, I am. I think I think he might get a little bit more than 327. He might round out to get the 330 or whatnot. But yeah, I, I think that's about right for a guy who's going to be 28 next year. Just... It's a perfect deal for a, a high-profile high shortstop like Correa. Do you think he's going to run into the same problem that he did last year where no one's really willing to give him those years so he turns to a short-term deal again? No, I don't. I think he was um, a little bit too... Not greedy is the wrong word. He was looking for the perfect deal last year where I see a perfect deal coming to him where I don't think he's going to have to seek it out, if that makes sense. I feel like teams are going to want his services. They're going to look at um, you know, Turner and Bogarts and, and Dansby Swanson, but I, I just find it so hard to believe that he doesn't get a contract like this two years in a row. Um, there shouldn't be any teams necessarily scared about him. Uh, he, he had a quote-unquote down year, and he put up, what was it, five war, five and a half war. So... If that's a down year for him, it should teams should be giving him a blank check. He's a superstar. He's a leader in the clubhouse. Push the cheating stuff aside. He's an all-around perfect guy to build your team around and, and put in that three-hole in your lineup for the next 10 years. What do you? How do you feel about him being ranked as the number one shortstop in this class above uh, Turner, Bogarts, and Swanson? 
Well, I don't think it's really a debate whether or not him and Turner are one A, one B. I don't think the other guys are necessarily in the same class. I tend to agree that he's the number one, and it's less about playing ability. Like, and and I could do more research and and say Correa or Turner's a better player. He's just a more marketable guy. He's a guy that you are willing to put a little bit more investment wise in than a Trey Turner. He's going to bring a little bit better ROI. He's going to return that investment a little bit better with sales and and his personality and you know what he brings is just it's different than Turner. Turner is kind of a he's a superstar but he's a lesser known superstar. So I feel like organizations are willing to pay more for a guy like Correa. And I just quite honestly I think he's a better hitter. I think he's just a more talented overall player that doesn't rely on speed like Turner, which a lot of clubs will be worried about declining over a long-term deal. That's true. And he's also two years younger, 27 to Turner's 29. Yeah. So with Correa, uh, this might be a little bit of a bold prediction, but I don't really feel like it is too bold. You know, we talked about Farhan Sahidi saying that they're not going to be outbid. And while I do think they miss out on judge, I think they go and get Correa. I think Correa is their shortstop of the future. Brandon Crawford's on the decline. Um, and Marco Luciano, their top shortstop prospect, doesn't grade out as a future shortstop by any means. So they'd be completely fine pushing him to third or right field, especially getting a guy like Correa. So I see him going to, to San Francisco. All right. So Bowden lists Giants, as you said, Twins, Braves, Dodgers, Mariners, Red Sox, Cubs, Tigers, Angels, and Orioles. All his fits. A big list there. Kind of going down the list. I don't think the Twins will commit that long. Uh, Braves, I don't think so either. It's kind of looking like if they don't re-sign Swanson, they're not really going to play at the top of that shortstop market. Dodgers, I could definitely see. And, you know, fan base anger notwithstanding, he's exactly the type of player they love. In his prime, good defender, good offensive presence, a right-handed bat to replace Turner and balance out Freeman. I think that would be a perfect fit really there. Mariners, I don't really see. They seem pretty committed to J.P. Crawford at shortstop. Red Sox, maybe, but I also don't think Bloom is ready to make the splash this offseason, probably next year. Cubs are apparently the betting favorite for Correa's next destination. Whether or not that means anything, I'm not really sure. Tigers already have Javi Baez, and they seem to be going backwards, so I don't really see them you know, author, I don't see the owners kind of authorizing another big expenditure this off season angels. Gosh, I sure hope not just because I hope they uh, can kind of find some depth rather than going for the star again. And the Orioles, of course, can't count them out. We've mentioned them several times already here. I honestly don't, I think they're probably third likeliest in my mind, Dodgers, Cubs, Orioles. That's where it goes in my mind. And of, obviously the Giants as well, actually. But you already mentioned them. Alrighty, Well, fair enough. So yeah, then let's bounce to Turner. Um, because he's going to have a similar market. All these shortstops will have very similar teams. Um, though Bowden predicts him to only get eight over eight years for only $264 million. So obviously a vast difference between the two guys. How are you feeling about that deal? I think that's about right. That might be a little much, actually. But I think it's somewhere in the ballpark. Yeah, that's the same AAV as he predicted for Correa just for two fewer years, given that he's two years older. I think it's probably fair. I could honestly see him getting more because I could see a team missing out on Correa and then kind of, you know, hitting the panic button 
Another team that's mentioned here that we've also heard some rumblings about is the Phillies. Been rumored to uh, be pursuing Turner pretty heavily. Had a great season this year, five war. OPS plus of 122, which is good, not not on the Correa level. Good defender, but again, not on Correa's level. So, yeah, I, I think his market value is probably lower than this 8264, probably more like 250 or 240. But I think he will actually beat this contract, and I think someone will overpay for him. And I think that will probably be the Phillies, honestly. Yeah, I'm I'm on the right the, the same wavelength as you there. I think the Phillies end up going after him. Um, you know, it allows Bryson Stott to push to second base, which is just a better fit for him. You know, he becomes a potential average, a slightly above average second baseman. Where at short, he's definitely the bottom tier. Um, Phillies need a shortstop. They need a guy in the middle infield, and Turner fits that bill. That could be a great fit there for sure. I would like to mention before we move on, I really doubt that he's going to go back to the Dodgers. I know this could definitely come back to bite me, but I just don't see them going after a guy that they failed to negotiate with while they had exclusive rights to him. Because while he's under contract, you can kind of negotiate with him one-on-one without worrying about the other 29 teams. And I feel like if they didn't come to an agreement at that point, they're not going to now if you can kind of see what I mean, because the Dodgers are not going to be that team that overpays for a guy. They have their limits and they have their backup plans and they're, you know, going to stick to their valuations of what they think each player is worth. And I don't think they will go for Turner now that he has reached free agency. Yeah, I think that's a fair point. Um, though I could see them missing out on a bunch of guys and kind of going to Turner there. So, Let's kind of bounce back to another shortstop here. Number six on the list was Xander Bogarts. Heading into his age 31-year-old season, uh, probably had the best season of his career on the defensive side of things. Actually rated as a positive defender for the first time in his career. It'll be interesting to see what he gets. Um, His market, again, is going to be super similar. He's definitely going to be considered a more offensive-minded first guy. Bowden predicts him getting seven for 196. I don't know if he gets seven years. He might. He might. I could see him getting a little higher AAV for maybe a six-year deal. I mm-hmm. think that might might make a little bit more sense. So that's twenty-eight million a year, which is pretty significant drop off. It's like five million less than he projected for Turner and Correa. Definitely agree on the the bat first kind of mentality there, which honestly is probably should put the Phillies more in the mix here, but. Resigning with the Red Sox on paper sounds good, but they've been supposedly very far apart on extension offers in the past. So, again, with a kind of Dodgers-Turner scenario, I'm not sure the Red Sox will be super aggressive to Bogarts now that they've seemingly, you know, kind of made their best offer and he's rejected it. Probably going to look elsewhere now. Gosh, yeah, this is a tough one. Phillies again, Dodgers. I don't I don't know if the Dodgers really pay for Bogarts because they've got Lux, who is sort of a shortstop, and if you get Xander Bogarts, who is also sort of a shortstop, um, their up-the-middle defense probably isn't that great. So I don't know. I'm not entirely sure. Probably Phillies, Red Sox, 
Orioles are mentioned again. Angels are mentioned again. So, yeah, interesting. Yeah, this is definitely a tough one to predict. I think, like you said, Phillies are a good fallback option if they don't get Turner. Um, a team not mentioned here that I wanted to mention, and it also allows us to bring up a big trade that happened today, was the Mariners. Um, they needed a right-handed slug. That was kind of a given. And Bogarts fits that mold in its entirety. You know, the positioning would be a little weird. They probably have to to push J.P. Crawford over to second um, if they did that, which I, I honestly don't hate. I know he's an elite defensive shortstop, but, I mean, now with the shift being banned, I think he could be an elite defensive second baseman, and his bat plays more as a second baseman anyway. Um, but now that they traded for Teoscar Hernandez, I don't see them necessarily ponying up to get a guy like uh, Bogarts to play shortstop. I think they might settle for uh, a lower-level guy in the market that has some slug from the right-hand side. But, you know, this is a tough one to predict. I I think there's actually a higher likelihood that the Dodgers uh, do pony up for a Bogarts than than maybe you're thinking. I I could definitely see it. You know, he he would do very well in L.A. So that would be interesting to see there. Um, But, yeah, I think there's a lot of fits. There's a, there's a lot of fits, but there's also four shortstops, so it's tough to kind of see where they're all going to fit in. All right, so let's move on to another starter. We got our first lefty of the class here, Carlos Rodon, coming off a spectacular season, an ERA under three in uh, 178 innings for the Giants. Strikeout machine, um, just overpowering stuff from the left side, which is Obviously, very hard to come by in Major League Baseball, so he should be paid handsomely. Bowden lists best fits as re-signing with the Giants, also the Cardinals, Braves, Mets, O's, Yankees, Red Sox, Angels, and Blue Jays. And he gives a contract prediction, contract prediction of five years, $144 million. Yeah, I like that contract prediction. In my mind, it's going to be very close to that. I think that's kind of what he deserves. Um, he's a, he's an elite starting pitcher, and he's proven that he can stay healthy now, and he's proven that he's one of the best strikeout pitchers in the game from the left side, and whoever gets him is going to get a front line rotation piece. So there's a lot of teams that will look for that, and it's a lot of the names we mentioned with the Verlander crew and the DeGrom crew, with a few other teams now maybe coming into the mix because the AAV won't be as high. I really like two teams, though, for him. I look at the Mets and the Orioles. I think the Orioles could really use that frontline starter. And I think the Mets, man, I feel like they're going to miss out on, on the Grom and Verlander and be much more willing to give a lower AAV over a longer span of time to Rodon. Uh, him and Scherzer at the top of that rotation, that's pretty scary. I could definitely see that. I've got a team in mind. But first of all, just kind of a comp for Rodon. I'm going to look at Joe Musgrove's deal with the Padres' extension as kind of a baseline here. Musgrove got five years, $100 million, And there's certainly things to like more about Rodon than Musgrove. A similar kind of performance, just kind of just ERA-wise. But Rodon is more of a strikeout pitcher, which is good. It's more sustainable and less uh, dependent on batted ball luck. He's also a year younger. Just the fact that he's left-handed... Is kind of, you know, just the different look gives him another advantage. Add in the fact that Musgrove probably took a bit of a hometown discount. And I think this 144 is a very reasonable contract over five years. The team, though, that I think will give him that contract is actually the New York Yankees. 
I think they're looking for another lefty to put at their top of, at the top of their rotation with Garrett Cole, um, possible insurance against uh, Nestor Cortez regression next season. I think they really need to shore up that starting pitching. The lack of it bit them in the playoffs for sure, and they're already losing Tyone as well. Yeah, that would be that would definitely be something. So, alrighty, let's bounce to number eight. This is a guy who's already signed, so we're not going to spend too much time on him. But that's Edwin Diaz. Uh, Bowden projected him having, uh, getting, excuse me, a contract of a four-year, sixty-five million dollar variety. Uh, boy, did he blow that out of the water with a five-year, one hundred and two million dollar, two and a half million dollar to be precise guarantee from the New York Mets. He did stay in New York, which seemed very likely. He signed before any other team could even get a chance to talk to him. But that set a precedent for the relief market because we have mm-hmm. seen now two guys in Rafael Montero and Robert Suarez get some pretty big deals after they only had one year of real success. And for Montero's sake, he really struggled. Uh, Suarez has had success you know, in, in overseas, so there's a little bit more sustainability, predictability there probably. But both of these guys got some some hefty deals, and a lot of it has to do with Diaz getting this contract this year. Yeah, absolutely. So four years, 65 to five years, 102. That's obviously a, a huge under prediction, I should say. And yeah, as you said, the relief market should be massively buoyed by that. We already saw it with those guys. Montero, three years, just over 30 million. And um, Robert Suarez got five years and 46 million guaranteed with some uh, bonuses littered in there as well. So yeah, for the next kind of class of relievers, you're looking at Adam Adovino, uh, that sort of group. This should definitely help them. There's nobody really on the level of Diaz. Uh, well, there's certainly nobody on the level of Diaz, but really even if you're looking at Suarez and Montero, they were pretty clearly the top tier uh, available after Diaz. So interesting to see. We kind of mentioned earlier the the gap between 1A and 1B or really 1 and 2 kind of there, the the top two tiers. So I don't think, you know, the Ottavinos of the world and that kind of level of reliever are going to get massively bigger contracts than we predicted, but they certainly will benefit from this. Totally. And, and you know, just to kind of wrap it up on Diaz here, I think it's a consensus that he probably got overpaid because it's risky to pay relievers this much over the x amount of years that he got but it's Stephen cohen he has the money so it doesn't feel like too big of a, a stretch here for the mets so let's get into the final shortstop here of the 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 daunting shortstop class that we have this year and that's dansby swanson now i'm going to preface i have kind of an interesting prediction for him for sure but just to quickly touch on him, he put together a 5.7 war season with the Braves this year. OPS plus only at 115, so definitely the weakest hitting of the class. But defensively, he's up there with Correa as the elite. It's going to be interesting to see what he gets. He's going to have a similar market. Uh, Bowden projects him to get six years for 154, so that's definitely the least amount of money. What do you feel about that? What what, what are you feeling like Dansby's going to get? Do you think he's going to kind of have to settle for a deal like a Correa? Because uh, just to kind of, you know, give what I'm thinking, I think he will. I think he's going to have to take a a short-term high AAV deal. Yeah, this is definitely the most interesting of the four shortstops, in my opinion. The other guys, we know they're going to get paid. Swanson has had an interesting journey. Obviously, top, top prospect, number one overall pick, but traded from the D-backs to the Braves as a rookie. 
kind of struggled at first. You know, you could see the potential, but he never really broke through. Had a solid year last year, and then this year really figured it all out. His OPS Plus was still only 115. And, you know, that's really good, but it's not superstar level. It's not even really all-star level. And his defense is off the charts. Great. So that really helps his value. But I just don't know how much teams are going to buy that bat, given that he hasn't really had too much success outside of the last couple years. He is 28 going into his age 29 season. So that works in his favor. He's still pretty young. But yeah, I could also see that short-term deal. I could also see him going for a longer-term deal just with not too much AAV, like even a seven-year $150 million deal. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I would be surprised if he took something like that. Uh, just knowing his age, he doesn't. I don't feel like he has to take a, a long-term deal if it doesn't have the AAV that he wants. Um, and, I, and, and I'll give my prediction here. This might be a little bit of a stretch. But I know I'm already predicting them to give high AAV to Verlander, but I think the Dodgers will give Dansby Swanson this deal. I think they're going to get to a point where they realize that having Lux as their second baseman is way more valuable than their shortstop. And once they get Verlander, they're just going to give one more deal to Dansby here, a three-year deal, about 90 to $100 million, somewhere in that range to where they're able to opt out after each year and assumes he opts out after this year, and it's just a one, one-year stopgap. But I... I might be going on a little bit of a limb here, but I kind of feel like that's going to be the route that, that Dansby ends up having to take. All right. Yeah, I could see that happening. I could also see, well, first of all, I could definitely see the Braves re-signing him. I think they're pretty clearly the favorites at this point, as is usually the case with the incumbent team. But Bowden also lists the Mariners, Red Sox, Twins, Angels. I don't know. I could see the Angels actually making a play for Swanson. Yeah, clearly a fairly wide open market there. So moving on to number 10. This one's interesting because he is not an MLB player. Um, being posted from the Fukuoka SoftBank Hawks of Nippon Professional Baseball in Japan, Kodai Senga, a right-handed pitcher going into his age 30 season, had a stellar year last year, an ERA under two in 150 innings. He's going to be posted... So, uh, or sorry, no, he's not going to be posted. Yeah, that's the big thing because the Hawks have a policy against posting their players. So he is an unrestricted free agent, which is a big deal because uh, when, a, when a player is posted by a team, uh, you have to pay a fee to that team when you sign the player. So a lot more expensive than just an unrestricted free agent. So Senga is a little older than he might have been if he was posted, but... As an unrestricted free agent, he doesn't come with those kind of strings attached. He throws hard. He has a good splitter. Third pitch is somewhat of a question mark. He has a cutter slider that he uses, but it doesn't really miss too many bats. Fastball splitter combination, somewhat like Otani, of course. It's a big thing in uh, in Japan and Korea as well, that splitter. he's He's been very dominant in Japan. Major League teams are going to line up for him and it's just a matter of who really believes in his success there the most yeah no totally and, and boating has him getting three years 72 million you know i didn't exactly know what this market was going to be like 
it's very difficult financially to predict a guy like that. So I went and looked at a lot of other predictive websites, you know, the fan graphs of the world, you know, baseball reference, anywhere that could write an article on Senga. And I didn't see anyone giving him near what Bowden gave him. So I think that's a fairly aggressive prediction from Bowden. You know, that's, that's about 24 a year. I actually think he's going to get more years than three. I think he's going to be able to find that fifth year, which is going to, which is going to allow him to to accept that deal. Um, and it's going to be more closer to the twenty-ish, eighteen range than than the twenty-four range. I like the Cubs here. I really do. Uh, they like, you know, they obviously have uh, affinity for Japanese and Korean players, and. I just, I don't know, man. I feel like they're the type of team right now who has a lot of money to spend and is going to miss out on some of the top-tier guys and is just going to give that extra year to Senga to make sure they can get him. Yeah, I think that's a good prediction. Cubs and Padres are really the teams that have those recent connections with the NPB. Uh, Cubs obviously signed uh, Seiya Suzuki last year. Padres have three guys, Darvish, Nick Martinez, who they just re-signed, and Robert Suarez, who they also just re-signed, who all played uh, in the NPB. And in fact, Martinez and Suarez were SoftBank Hawks as well. Uh, so there's some connections there. Padres obviously have a need in their starting rotation as well, although potentially more of a back-end need than a guy like Sango would fill. But yeah, I could see them stepping up, the Cubs for sure. Uh, Angels are always a threat to uh, drop some money on some more pitching. But given that they've already signed Tyler Anderson, who we'll get to in a minute, uh, probably not as likely. Orioles are clearly a fit. Red Sox, for sure. Uh, And the Rangers are mentioned as well. I'm agreeing with your Cubs prediction, though. I think that's a pretty nice fit. Alrighty, so then, yeah, the next guy on the list is Clayton Kershaw. Bowden predicted one year, $20 He signed with the Dodgers, which it didn't seem like he could go anywhere else for one year, 20-ish. We haven't officially gotten the contract details, but it's been reported by John Heyman that it's 20-ish. So we're going to go with one year for 20 there. I don't know. There's not much to say here on Kershaw. He's elite. The Dodgers continue to re-sign him on one-year deals, and it just is going to happen until he decides to retire. Yeah. All the rumors about the Rangers, I don't really see that happening. It's just kind of going to be like this for... The rest of time. 100%. So let's get to a very curious guy here in Wilson Contreras at number 12. And the reason I say that is because he's kind of the lone catcher out here this year. There's some trade talks with Sean Murphy's of the world and whatnot and some of the Blue Jays guys. But Contreras is not the stereotypical catcher that's come on the free agent market as of late. A lot of them in the Real Mutos of the world and the Grandals have been elite on defense. And they can also hit Contreras... There's a lot of question marks around that defense. And it's going to be interesting to see how clubs go about handling him in his situation. Um, Jim Bowden predicts him getting four years, $78 million. I think that's about right. I don't know if he quite gets 78 but I think he gets somewhere close to that. Um, and I think the four years is fairly accurate there. Yeah, it's just going to be a very small market. I, I don't see a lot of teams going in on him. I think a lot of teams are going to turn to that trade market instead. You know, and I and I kind of think, you know, it's kind of back-to-back predictions for the same team, but I think he just ends up going back to Chicago. Interesting. Okay. Um, the thing that Chicago has in advantage over other teams is they issued the qualifying offer, so they would not receive any penalties for signing him, uh, whereas other clubs would. 
I actually feel fairly strong about this one. I think he's going to go to the Astros. And I think it's not going to be for four years, 78. I think it's going to be for less than that because of the effect of that qualifying offer. Yeah, the Cubs wouldn't have to pay that, but I don't think they're really that interested in bringing him back. Uh, I don't think he really fits their long-term plan. Bowden also mentions the Cardinals and the Red Sox. I don't really see... I mean, the Cardinals obviously have a need at catcher with Molina departing, but I think they're more likely to go for the trade route. And I think the Red Sox are probably more likely to settle for some in-house options or some lower-tier options in the catching market. Yeah, I could see it. I just feel like that that whole thing about the deadline where Crane nixed the deal because of Contreras because he didn't like the fact that he'd be you know, calling things behind the plate. Mm. I feel like that still lingers, and that's why it's tough for me to say Astros. But it is, it's like a perfect fit in my mind if it wasn't for Crane. And, you know, we can have a whole podcast on how interesting of an owner Jim Crane is. But yeah, um, yeah I think that'll be that. He's going to have an interesting market, but I, I think, you know, we'll see if the Astros really pursue him or not. But if they do, I agree with you. If they are willing to sign him, I think they probably get him. I just don't think they are. So that's why I didn't go that route. Let's go to kind of our second tier of starting pitchers here. Uh, and then we're going to begin with Nathan Eovaldi going into his age 33 season. Um, definitely a very powerful right arm for a team that could use someone with high strikeout ability. Bowden predicts him getting four years, 90 million. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. That's a lot in my eyes i don't know if he gets four years and i'd be shocked if he gets 90 million Uh, do you kind of share that sentiment with me or yeah four years i'm not so concerned about but declining qualifying offer another guy like Contreras who did that i don't think he really beats the qualifying offer on a long-term deal i could see 20 million maybe but i think it's going to be more along the lines of four years for 18 a year um, to bring it to $54 million maybe. Uh, I don't know, maybe he gets $20 million a year to get $60 million. But yeah, there's just some serious uncertainty with his health and also just his production. I mean, he's a good starter. He's a very good starter. But he doesn't have that number one starter upside that you've seen with the guys ahead of him, the Rodons, Verlanders, even Senga. So yeah, I think it's a hard under on this four years, $90 million. Yeah, totally. And, you know, Bowden lists a couple teams here, and it's it's quite honestly a lot of the same teams that he's been listing for the other guys, though. A team he doesn't list is the team that I predict. I think the Orioles end up going out and getting Eovaldi. I just like this fit. I feel like it's a natural fit for them. Him and, you know, who knows what Means is going to be able to be coming off of Tommy John this year, and he's not even going to start the year in the rotation. So getting a guy like Eovaldi to be their opening day starter is at the point where they are right now in time. For me, it makes a lot of sense. They don't necessarily need an ace at this moment. They're not going to be competing for a World Series, but to get a guy like Eovaldi to maybe get an ace to build around in the next couple of years and have him be your three or four guy, I like that move. So for me, I, I'm going to go with Orioles here, ponying up for about that three for 60 million-ish range. Yeah, so the next two guys, Bassett and Jamison Tyone, we kind of grouped together with Evaldi. Probably a little less upside in each of them compared to Evaldi. Although Bassett had a superior year this year, he pitched to a 3.42 ERA in 180 innings. Very solid year. You know, he doesn't have the strikeout stuff that Evaldi does. He doesn't throw as hard, relies on his off-speed more, which 
concerns some teams with regards to uh, just, you know, keeping the ball in the ballpark and being vulnerable to bad at ball luck. But yeah, with, with Bassett, with Tyone, you're looking at a similar sort of deal around that four years range. They're all uh, between 30 and 33 years old, not going to get a super long-term deal, but they're going to get paid fairly handsomely. Bowden has Tyone at four years for 70 and, Bassett at four for 74. I think he's high on all of these guys, but I think more so on Ivaldi than the other two. I'd say probably four for 60-ish for these guys. Yeah, I I honestly don't see either of these guys getting the fourth year. I think of any of them, Tyone has the best chance because of his age, but I just don't like that fourth year for any of them. Um, and honestly, I, I don't think Tyone gets a lot of money in compare. I think Bassett ends up getting more AAV than Tyone. I think Tyone, out of these three guys, ends up getting the least amount. But yeah, there's a lot of teams that are going to be interested in these guys because a lot of teams need that three, four guy to kind of secure up the rotation and and not just eat innings, but eat quality innings and then kind of be their third or fourth guy in the rotation for a playoff push. So the market for them is going to be vast, and that's where you see that fourth year coming into play, probably where Bowden's mind is because a lot of teams are going to be in on these guys. Just quickly, what I think is going to happen, and, and these are... These are so much harder to predict than than the top guys, in my opinion, mm-hmm. because like I yeah. said, so many teams are going to be in on him. The Blue Jays need a guy who can come in after Manoa and Gosman. Can't rely on Barrios to, to bounce back for sure. So they need a guy, and that's going to be their biggest need going forward, in my opinion. So I see them going to get Chris Bassett. That's going to be their guy to be their three. And then for Tyone, uh, the Phillies have been talking about needing one more rotation guy. They said that. Uh, very recently, they talked about maybe bringing back a guy like Zach Eflin, though I think they're going to end up going with Tyone. I think Eflin uh, gets a little more AAV and kind of pushes them out of the range. So they're going to go for a Tyone type for a little bit longer of a deal and, and really solidify a playoff rotation spot, not just a guy who will be in the pen for the playoffs. All right, solid picks. I'm not sure the Blue Jays want to wrap up so much money in the rotation. They already gave out big deals to... Gosman and Barrios, as well as Ryu, uh, who's out with injury as well. So not entirely sure about that one, but honestly, yeah, there's problems with all of these. So you can see the Padres coming in. They need somebody in this sort of tier, or they would like to have somebody in this sort of tier. I'm um, not really sure how much room they have on the payroll after signing two, after signing Martinez and Suarez already. I could see the Twins playing in this kind of region of the market, just kind of still trying to compete without fully putting the pedal to the metal and and blowing everything up. As you said, really, everybody's going to be in on these guys. They're not so expensive that certain teams will be out completely, and they're also good enough that everyone would want them on their team and everyone would have room for them in their rotation. Perfectly said. So let's kind of bounce to the second uh, best outfielder in the market in Brandon Nimmo. Uh, probably the, the last guy on our list today that's going to have a chance at that 100 million range. Nimmo's an interesting prediction here. Bowden predicts him getting five for 100. I think that's about right. I think he actually might get a little bit more AAV. And by a little bit, I mean, you know, 21 million versus 20 million that he predicts. Nimmo is going to have suitors uh, as one of the top center fielders in the market. And one of the top center fielders in the game at this point, not a very deep position overall. 
there's going to be a lot of teams that would like his services. I just think Steve Cohen and the Mets realize how valuable he was to them. I don't see them letting him go anywhere else, but there's going to be other suitors for sure. How are you feeling about Nimmo? Because he is quite the player. He certainly is, and he also has a big advantage in that he's really the only center fielder available that's even close to his skill level. You know, you could play judge in center field, but he's not a natural center fielder. He's much more well used in right field. And then beyond that, it's what, Kevin Kiermeyer? Not anyone who's gonna put up a one thirty OPS as Nimmo did this past year. As you said, not gonna lack for suitors at all. I could definitely see the Mets coming back with him. They have the option of shifting Marte, Starling Marte to center field and going after a corner outfielder instead. I don't think that's super likely. So yeah, the Mets are a big fit. The Blue Jays have been mentioned just recently today since they traded away Teoscar Hernandez, seemingly opened up a spot in their outfield where they could shift George Springer to a corner and then put Nimmo in in center field as a left-handed bat that they've pretty desperately needed for the last year or so. I could see that certainly being in play. Bowden also lists the Yankees, Padres, Rangers, Royals, Tigers. I think those are all fairly long shots. Yankees, I suppose I could see if they miss out on Judge, but we already said they probably won't. I think Mets-Blue Jays is is a pretty tight race there. Yeah, the Blue Jays are definitely going to be a fun player in this race. And like you said, they're going to make it a race because I don't think there really was too much of a market um, that would compete with the Mets, but now now we might have one. So let's talk about Andrew Benatendi, who comes in next on the list. He's going to be going into his age 29 season, so he's still young, under that 30 range, which is always nice. He had his best year of his career last year, but it's clearly an offensive threat at the top of the order. You're not going to be able to place him anywhere in the middle. Not going to slug a lot, but he's going to put the ball in play, be a high on-base percentage guy, and play really solid left field for you. Bowden predicts him getting 5 for 75, and when I saw this, I almost wanted to disregard anything I've ever read from Jim Bowden because that seems like the most absentine prediction I've ever seen. Yeah, there's no way he's getting $75 million, and I don't think he's getting five years either. I think he's going to be pretty disappointed in his market, honestly, because teams just aren't going to pay for a guy who doesn't slug. And it's not even the, the home run power. It's the extra base, the doubles power. Um, he slugged 399 this past season with an average of 304 you know so it's not like he was you know he that slugging percentage was buoyed a lot by the singles too it wasn't like he was hitting a bunch of doubles the obp obviously great 373 everyone would like that but outside of the guardians nobody really uh succeeds with players who don't slug and obviously the guardians would sure love to have someone other than uh, jose ramirez to hit home runs for him I could see the Yankees bringing him back. They obviously liked him enough to trade for him. Bowden also mentions Padres, Blue Jays, and Rays. I think the Padres' prediction is pretty weak. Uh, I think that's just because we have an opening in left field, but Benintendi is certainly not a fit for the roster uh, in terms of you know type of offensive player he is. Blue Jays, I could see for sure. I don't think they're going to be 575 in on him. I think they might be four for 55 or 60 on him. Uh, the Rays also, yeah, I don't really see that fit very well. They've 
prioritized those low average high slug guys in the past so i don't think benintendi's really on their radar yeah i didn't like many of these fits to be honest so i decided to spend a little more time on this one and kind of see if there was another team that could use this sort of production and that's where i settled on the detroit tigers i was Um, just about to say that wow okay yeah, because Akil Vadu is going to be their projected guy, and yeah, he's a cool guy, fun story and whatnot, but he is not a future major league player on a winning uh, ball club. They need to spend something this offseason after last year. They can't just sit there and do nothing. So he seems like a great fit. I mean, get on base for, you know, Baez, Torkelson, Cabrera to hopefully hit him in. It's He's not going to add a lot to the team in terms of win value, but he's a good fit for that team to kind of be their left fielder for the next Four years, I could see them giving him three or four years. Absolutely, yeah. I think his market kind of evaporates on him. He doesn't get that fifth year that he's probably looking for. And I think the Tigers have him fall into their laps a little bit. No, I totally agree with you there. Let's get on to Jose Abreu. Big first baseman, uh, productive guy, just continuously slugs home runs and bats in 100 guys every year. And he's finally going to be walking away from the White Sox. They're finally going to go to Andrew Vaughn as their everyday first baseman. I could see a reunion there, but it seems unlikely. Bowden has him getting two years for 34. I think that is a money prediction. Um, I think there's actually a good chance he gets an opt-out after that first year uh, as well in his deal. He is just a productive guy. And that's what you're going to get in him. You're going to get a lot of production. Um, and for a contract that's two years, 34, I feel like that puts a lot more teams in play than, let's say, a Rizzo, who got closer to that 20 million range. Yeah, and Rizzo's clearly the comp here. In fact, Rizzo's base contract is two years, 34 million. He gets 17 for each of the next two years. But there's also a third year option with a buyout that's 6 million. So that takes the guarantee up to 40. Yeah, I think they're fairly similar players, actually. Not the defenders that they once were, but a consistent bat. Going to bring some power, hits the ball hard. Just a very productive, solid player. Every contending team would love a bat like this in the middle of their order. Bowden lists Padres, Cubs, Rays, Rangers, White Sox. Again, I don't think the Padres pay this much for a guy. I think they're probably going to go a little lower key on the, the, the rungs here, the free agent ladder cubs eh, i don't think so rays it's an interesting fit rangers interesting fit they have josh low at first base josh lau however you pronounce his name and then the white Sox bringing him back this is an interesting one with the yankees off the table uh having re-signed rizzo i actually kind of like the rays fit i could see the rangers as well though no, I haven't gone to the race. I think that's just that just seems like such a racing to do. It reminds me a lot of, and it's a little bit different because the Brady is a little bit more. I shouldn't say more productive, but he's younger for sure than Nelson Cruz. But if you remember a couple years back when the Rays signed Nelson Cruz to a two-year deal, it worked out very similar similarly for them. And I don't know, it just it just feels like something that the Rays would do to get that productiveness because they just lack that a little bit on their offensive mm-hmm. uh, front. And they have the money to spend. I mean, obviously, we know they're not going to spend a ton of money, but they, they've shown that they're going to do contracts like this. So I think the Rays are a perfect fit for him. Yeah, I do. I think they're going to kind of realize, they, I think they have realized that their current position player core really just isn't going to cut it offensively. And they're going to bring in somebody like Abreu. So, yeah, I think that's a solid prediction there. 
Um, okay, moving on. The next one is Anthony Rizzo. Uh, somewhat interesting that Bowden put him behind Abreu. Although, yeah, he predicted him for three years, $54 million. He actually got two years, 40 guaranteed. Don't need to spend too much time on this. It pretty much just sets the market for Abreu to be fairly similar to that. And we know guys in the next sort of tier, probably Josh Bell is the next best available. I think he comes in at 25 on our list. So we'll talk about him when we get there. But that's definitely uh, the ceiling for first baseman in this in this free agent class. Yeah, yeah, good deal for Rizzo and the Yankees there. Now let's go on to Zach Eflin. Very interesting guy because he's the type of guy that you can see an organization getting a lot more out of than he's given the right. Phillies over his career. Now Bowden predicts him to get three for 36. I could see that, though I'm going a little bit more of the route that he's going to get a two-year deal with a little bit more AAV, possibly a, f- a backloaded deal where the first year isn't as much, and then he has an, a player option for that second year um, that's a little that's worth a little bit more. I don't see him getting a stereotypical contract. I definitely see him getting some sort of opt-out type deal. That's what I think he's going to look for. I think he's going to try to go to a team that can guarantee him a rotation spot. And so that that fills a lot of teams. Um, obviously, he could go back to the Phillies. There's a lot of different places he can go. I really, really like the Red Sox here. They're going to be looking for innings, and they're the type of team that can give Eflin a chance to be a starting pitcher throughout the entire season um, because they need the innings. They're not predicted to be super good, but if they get you know guys to play really well this year, they can make a wild card push for sure. So I'm big on the Red Sox giving him the money he needs. All right. Yeah, that's good. I honestly, this isn't even listed here. The Bowden predicts, what is this? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, ten teams. He lists ten teams as fits for Eflin. I'm going to go off the board. Um, and I think the Padres could make a nice play for Zach Eflin. They've already re-signed Nick Martinez, and they're going to give him an opportunity to start for sure. But I don't think they're just you know blindly going to give him a rotation spot. That's not how things work. And I think they saw the value that Martinez gave them last year as a guy who could do both. And they're going to see Eflin in the same light. Obviously, uh, established acquitted himself well in the playoffs this year as the Phillies as a as a member of the Phillies bullpen when he had been starting earlier in the year. So I think that could be a good fit for the Padres to not break the bank and also fill in the back end of that rotation uh, with some insurance for Martinez. I do like that a lot. And I, and I was surprised too, that I didn't see them on as best fits though. Yeah, no, I think Eflin, like you said, he would fit really good in the Padres rotation could kind of bounce back and forth between rotation and bullpen come playoff time. And we'll just have to see, you know, he could be a type of guy that if he's available late and the Padres haven't filled that hole, it just might be a perfect fit. So getting on to number 21 here on the list, Probably the toughest to predict, not in terms of value, but more where the heck is this guy going to play? And that's going to be Michael Conforto. Obviously, he hasn't played the last couple seasons, given injuries, and then just didn't sign last year because he was hurt. And then, you know, there was thought that he would sign midseason with a team that needed an outfielder, uh, namely a right fielder, and that just never happened. And now he's been out of organized baseball for a year now i don't really know what the market's going to be for him yeah it's really tough to gauge he had a very interesting or has had a very interesting career path so far came up a solid rookie season and then really seemed to break out the next few years in his walk year in his contract year 2021 
he kind of had a bit of a down year. There was talk of him kind of accepting a pillow contract, one-year deal to, to get back on track and get a longer-term deal. Didn't sign, didn't sign, didn't sign, didn't sign. Uh, of course, the lockout was going on for most of last offseason. And then it kind of came out as spring training was ramping up that he was hurt and he would probably try to sign later since he accepted the qual or he, excuse me, he rejected the qualifying offer. He was presented and rejected the qualifying offer last off season. So originally we were kind of thinking, Oh, maybe he'll wait until after the draft because once the draft goes by, you can't be penalized for signing somebody with a qualifying offer because the pick only applies to that draft, but that didn't happen either. He never signed, never played. He's been out for a whole year. Not really very comparable to anyone we've seen in recent years. Obviously, he's you know not been idle. He's been training and and uh, doing stuff on his own. He's a Boris Corp client, so obviously he has really the best training stuff that money can buy, and he's well represented. So I think he'll get a solid deal. Market, yeah, it's completely all over the place. I could see the Blue Jays making a play now that they have an opening in their outfield. I guess if the Mets miss out on Nimmo, they could try for a reunion with him, put Marte in center field. White Sox have a need in the outfield. If his market shrinks a little bit, I could see the White Sox playing. Rays could take a gamble, maybe. Yeah, I don't know. This one's tough. You know, I, I like the Red Sox suit a lot, but the team that I predicted isn't even listed here, which isn't crazy because, like we said, this market's very weird. But I think the Rockies end up giving him a chance. I know they don't really have a, a glaring hole in right field because they do have Randall Grichik, but I think they'll make it work. I think the Rockies will find a way to make it work. I know they have Blackman and everything going on, but when they get a guy like Conforto... And he's going to sign a two-year deal, most likely, big opt-out after the first year type of thing. It'll be a tradable contract because, look at it this way, if he goes off in Colorado, right, which is a great place to hit, mm -hmm. if he goes off in Colorado the first year and he gets 15, 17 million or something like that, and now you're looking at a trade market where the team's going to be taking on, what, roughly half of that, so maybe six, seven million dollars, and that team knows he's going to opt out, they have no future obligation to pay him. So it basically turns into a rental deal for a right-handed, or excuse me, a, a slugging, well-rounded outfielder, assuming that he figures it out in Colorado. I think the Colorado might see that as a opportunity. And with the weirdness of what his market's going to look like, I feel like a team like that has a higher likelihood of taking a chance on him than a team that needs... Uh, immediate production so I'm going to go with the Rockies here maybe out, of, out on a limb here but I think that's very solid I think the Orioles are another guy another team that's not mentioned here that could be a good fit we also should mention the Rockies were rumored to be in on Brandon Nimmo Nimmo obviously would be a bigger splash than Conforto but they were rumored to have some serious interest in Nimmo as well okay Moving down the relief pitcher uh, chain, we've got Kenley Jansen on the market for the second straight year after taking a one-year $16 million deal to close games for the Braves. Uh, had a solid year, 3.38 ERA and 64 innings, locked down 41 saves. So a solid year, but not approaching his peak of the 
mid to late 2000s or 2010s, I should say. He he definitely is not his same guy, but man, he spins the crap out of the ball. He's 95th percentile on fastball spin rate, 98th percentile on expected batting average, 97th percentile on expected ERA, uh, and expected WOBA. I mean, he's he still figures out how to get the job done, and he has elite spin stuff, so the velo plays. Bowden has him getting two years for 34. I don't think he gets two years. I think he continues to sign one year one year pillow. I shouldn't say pillow contracts, but one year contracts. And I think he's going to go to a big player. Uh, I look at a team like the Yankees who don't really have a closer and they kind of got exposed with that come playoff time. They lost Chapman. So that money has gone off the books. I could see the Yankees going out and getting Kenley. I like that fit. I like that fit a lot. Actually, I could see him resigning with the Braves for sure. Red Sox is another potential fit, but I don't know. Yeah. I like the Yankees fit actually. And one other team that I, I could see too, it's very similar fit because they have a big time closer that's coming off the books that struggled is the Dodgers. Yeah. I'd watch out for the Dodgers reuniting with him. Yeah. I know they have a lot of guys, but none of them stepped up big time to be a consistent closer for them last year. I just, I wouldn't be surprised. So I just wanted to kind of throw that one out there. Let's combine 23 and 24 because they've both already made their decisions. They're both left-handed starting pitchers who had career years last year, and that's Martin Perez and Tyler Anderson. Now, Bowden had Perez getting two for 24. He almost got that 24 in a one-year deal. Granted, it was the qualifying offer at $19 million, but he definitely got a lot in terms of AAV, though it was only over that one-year uh, security for him. But it kind of seemed like an obvious decision. Uh, never came close to getting that much money in his life. So... That seemed kind of obvious. And then Tyler Anderson offered the qualifying offer. There was a lot of people who thought he would get the, or he would end up accepting that because Bowden had him projected at 224 as well. He ends up going uh, across the freeway about 30, 45 minutes away to Anaheim to now play for the Angels for a three year, $39 million deal. You know, those two are very similar in a lot of ways and they took different routes. But, you know, if I'm Tyler Anderson, I feel like I made out a little bit better. Yeah, it's a, you know, it's a kind of betting on yourself situation with Martin Perez, but similar pitchers. I would still say that Anderson is probably uh, more highly regarded as a pitcher. He's enjoyed a little more success in his career. Yeah, both seeing both of these guys projected for two years and twenty four million, that seems like uh, obviously in hindsight, but very low ball prediction. Anderson, yeah, three years, 39. And Perez almost got to 20 million just from the one year with the uh, qualifying offer. So that probably implies that the starting pitcher market is a little beefier than we originally thought. Although these guys, I mean, yeah, we said he he predicted, what, like four years and 75-ish for that kind of Evaldi, Tyone, Bassett tier. And all the way down at two years, 24 for this tier, I think it's, I don't know, I think both of those are kind of pinched more towards the middle. Yeah, I think with the pitching market, we definitely disagree for the most part with what Bowden has predicted. Now, at the end of the day, he could be right and we could be wrong. But yeah, kind of moving on from those guys, unless you had something else you wanted to say there. We got two more guys we wanted to touch on. Number 25 is Josh Bell, and we also wanted to quickly touch on Jock Peterson um because he did accept his qualifying offer though not on this list and all i wanted to say on jock was 
I don't really understand the Giants giving him a qualifying offer. Uh, it was a no-brainer for him to accept it, mm-hmm. though Giants, you do you. Um, do, do you have any strong feelings on that that differ from what I feel? Yeah, also not really sure. I mean, the Giants must have just really wanted to keep him uh, for one year because you can't offer him that and expect he's going to decline it. That's uh, really just a no-brainer for him. He's, not that he's not a good player, but $20 million is a really good salary. It's the average of the top 100 salaries in Major League Baseball. That's what the qualifying offer is set at. And yeah, I don't think he's a top 100 player. But good for him. Um, and hopefully he has another good season this year and can enter the market without the QO attached next offseason. As for the last guy on the list, Josh Bell, entering his age 31 season, Bowden predicts him getting three for 39, which would obviously be 13 million a year. Yeah, that feels about right. I don't think he gets more than that. I think if anything, he'd get less. To me, there is just such an obvious fit in Houston. It just feels so right. And I predicted this at the trade deadline, so maybe I'm uh, sticking to my narrative. But I've seen this thrown around too, so I don't feel like I'm crazy. I just see Josh Bell ending up in Houston for about 333. Yeah, I could definitely see that. I don't know. like At, at some kind of point inside me it seems like wow 13 million a year like he should be worth more than that but also you know you got to remember what Rizzo got two years for 40 and Josh Bell does not have the track record of Anthony Rizzo granted he is three years younger four years younger so I could see that sort of like you know he gets an extra year but lower AAV I think yeah three years 35 ish um, is probably the range we're looking at. Astros fit is big. Um, Bowden says Padres, Rays, Tigers, Rangers. I don't think the Padres bring him back. Similar to the Rizzo Abreu thing, I think they're going to go a little smaller at first base. Rays, eh, I don't know. Tigers, I don't think that would be a good fit at all. Rangers already have low at first base. Yeah, I don't know. I like that Astros fit. I could see somebody just kind of out of nowhere picking up Josh Bell. I know the Orioles have a few first base DH types already, but I don't know. Maybe they figure something out with him. Yeah. So Bell will be an interesting, interesting case. Cause I agree with you. I could definitely see him going to a, a non contender that we're not really thinking of right now too. Uh, there just may not be the biggest market for a guy like that, but there also could be. So uh, yeah, it could go either way with Bell for sure. Alrighty, well, this has definitely been a longer episode, but I feel like it was definitely necessary to kind of get through some of these these guys, and hopefully uh, you all appreciate a little more in-depth breakdown on some fits and, and what these players bring to the table and contract-wise. Um, it was a fairly all-encompassing podcast. I know uh, a lot of places might give you one or the other, or just a top 10 or 15, but yeah, definitely let us know if you appreciated this sort of uh, format. But yeah, unless you got anything else, Johnny, I think that'll that'll do it for us. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you can tell we love this stuff. <laughs> so it's not just uh, the during season and, and playoff breakdowns. But yeah, the off season is one of our favorite times as well. So we've got these predictions out. We'll get some off season preview um, episodes out in the coming weeks uh, for each team breaking down their plans for the off season and how they might uh, go about filling their holes. And after that, we've got some special guests that we're going to bring on the pod this offseason. 
So looking forward to that. But uh, yeah, so we'll see you next time.